It was Mark chapter 7, verse 31 to 37. And in these verses, we can see something again of the miraculous power of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it seems as if Mark, as he has been leading us through these passages, is constantly reminding us that we are not in the presence of an ordinary man as he unfolds these miraculous truths that uh, have been worked and performed uh, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Already in his gospel, Mark has uh, shown us the Lord raising to life a dead child, healing countless physical uh, diseases and, and deformities, feeding thousands of people with just a few morsels of food, casting out demons, stilling storms, walking on water, and even transporting a ship and all its crew across the Sea of Galilee instantaneously. Every few verses opens to our view more layers of the evidence of Christ's divine nature and the glory of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And equally, in addition to the greatness of these miracles and their quantity, because there are many, the success that the Lord had in performing them and the publicity that he received by them Mark is also teaching us, and we have to acknowledge this, that there is a harmony between the Lord's works and the Lord's doctrine. And these two things meld together and complement one another. They form a unified message whereby the healing and the feeding and the deliverance and the new life speaks not only to the body and the physical aspects of men and women and boys and girls, but also to the soul and the spiritual dimension of the people also. So here we find that the Lord Jesus Christ, in accomplishing these great works, is also bringing in a realisation that there is a spiritual aspect to all of these miracles, these, these great works. So that what the Lord performed physically, he also was accomplishing spiritually. His message, the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ's gospel if you like, called the Gospel of Christ. Christ's Gospel was authenticated and validated to, 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 to be real. It was shown to be the, the, the real thing because he was able to do these miracles. These miracles, as it were, caused people to stop and hear and think and, and be confronted with the spiritual uh, message that the Lord was giving, his doctrine and his truth, his gospel. 
so that the glory of the miracles or the wonders and the signs as, as, as the Apostle Peter calls them confirmed the truth of the gospel message. And this is something that we always ought to remember. While we're going through these passages and while Mark leads us through, it almost appears like from, from amazing incident to amazing incident to amazing incident, it, it seems that they come hard and fast upon us. But it is always with this idea that it is the message of the Lord that undergirds them all. And there's a lesson in them for us, a spiritual dimension that is revealed in the physical effects and changes that took place. So that men and women were left without excuse for their willful and deliberate unbelief in the face of the evidence that was set before them. And the miracle that we've read today here in the last few verses of Mark chapter 7, this miracle of healing the, the deaf and, and dumb man follows that same pattern. The Lord has compassionately, because it was, it was with compassion, it was with that, that desire to do good uh, to, to those who came to him, that the Lord agreed to this request from perhaps a family for the healing of this uh, man, uh, this, this uh, deaf and dumb man. But he does it in such a way as to attach, I hope you'll agree, a deep spiritual significance to it, in addition to the physical conversion or the physical healing of the man's senses. And today I want to just draw your, your attention and mention a few of the spiritual lessons that Mark is leading us to see and to understand that give this amazing miracle a deeper significance, a deeper meaning and a, an instructive value to us. I want to think on uh, four different things. I'm going to uh, draw your attention to those who brought this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're also going to think about some lessons from the way in which the Lord responded to this man when he touched his uh, um, ears and, and, and he touched his, his tongue and he looked up and, and, and he spoke. So the way in which the Lord responded also gives us some spiritual instruction. I want as well for us just to, to touch upon the, the little phrase that the Lord made when he said to these people, tell no man, don't tell anyone what has transpired here. Why did the Lord say that and what was the significance of it? And finally, I want to dwell upon, um, perhaps, perhaps uh, principally upon uh, the phrase towards the end of, of our passage, which says that the people acknowledged that he had done all things well. So these are the, the headings that we have before us today. And the first one that I want to draw your attention to is the fact that here in verse 32, we are told that these people brought this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now if we were uh, talking about a, a film or a movie, then these people would be called the support cast. We don't know anything about them really. They're not major characters in, in any way. And indeed, in many respects, they wouldn't even be noticed. And yet, they had a part to play, an important part to play. Mark simply calls them they. They're not named. We don't know anything about relationships or, or, or why they brought this man. But there are some things that we do know about they, that we do know about them. And here are, are two things. So this is my first point, but I've got two, two things I want to say in this first point. So don't get confused about the numbers. Here's the first thing that we know about these people who brought this man to Christ. That they had a high opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were persuaded in his ability to help and cure their friend. They had a high opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ and they had a persuasion in their own hearts and souls that the Lord Jesus Christ was able to help and cure their friend. And I think that that is a very worthy thing to note because here we see that these people had some knowledge of Christ and acted upon it. And that's a lesson, surely, for us too. You know, this confidence, this confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that arises naturally. It comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to cause us to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give us faith and confidence in him. And having Given that faith and confidence, here we find that these people put that trust into effect and they bring their friend to the Lord Jesus. That confidence is our privilege alone. I sometimes talk about those who are believers in in the doctrine of free will, that, that everyone has free will to choose Christ for themselves or, or reject Christ for themselves and that man has the, the final say in this matter, a, a, a position that I, I, I totally reject and, and, and utterly refute. It is God who is sovereign in all matters of salvation and God alone who is able to save. Salvation is of the Lord. But here's another way in which this, uh, this doctrine of free will is, is undermined uh, 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 when we think about these people who brought their friend to the Lord. Free will believers have no grounds for praying for the salvation of their friends and their family. They have no grounds for it. How dare they indeed pray that God would override the will of their friends and their families. Can they pray for their children, that their children will be saved? What grounds have they for such a request? 
Now, this is a privilege of the Lord's people alone, those who have confidence in him, because we've tasted something of the power of Christ in our own lives. And I'm sure that these people who brought, perhaps it was their son, Mark doesn't tell us that, perhaps it was just a friend, whoever they were, they brought this young man to Christ because they were confident that Christ could do him good. Let us never allow our views of God's sovereignty to deter us from praying for someone else. In truth, we are the only people who have got the right to do such a thing, according to our doctrinal understanding. If someone is laid upon your heart, if the Lord lays someone upon your heart for their spiritual well-being, for their eternal good, then take that person to the throne of grace in prayer. Take them to the Lord. How do we bring someone to the Lord? The Lord's not going to be in the next village or the next town and we, we get them and take them and carry them there. That's what happened when the Lord was performing his ministry. How do we take someone to the Lord now? Well, we bring them to the gospel. We invite them to hear the gospel preached. Invite them to listen to this service. Send them the link for this service. Let your high opinion of Christ let your persuasion of his ability be the motivation to support your friend, your family in coming to the Lord. It worked here for this man and it will be profitable again. So here's the second point that we know about these people. They beseeched the Lord. That little word there, beseech. It means to seek earnestly, to cry out with passion. Do you remember the, 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 the Syrophoenician woman that we were speaking about last week? She would not let go. She insisted that the Lord heard her voice. And he did. And so these people here beseech the Lord. Are we passionate about these things? Do we seek earnestly for the salvation of those that we love, the salvation of those who have been laid upon our hearts? What kind of relationship did they have with this man? I don't know. But let us think about whose faith was being tested here. Was it not the faith of those that brought the deaf man? The Lord doesn't seek for faith on the part of the deaf man, but he is fulfilling the desires of those who came to him in faith. They believed that the Lord would help their friend. Now watch this. Watch this, because I think this is really very interesting. We so often feel inadequate in, in, in these matters, but... Look at what these people said to the Lord when they were beseeching him, when they were crying out to him. They asked, Lord, lay your hand upon him. Lay your hand. It says in verse 32, they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Now why? 
Why, why did they ask that the Lord put his hand upon them? Was that necessary that the Lord laid his hand upon them? No, it wasn't necessary. We've seen that. The, the Syrophoenician woman, she came herself and she asked that the Lord would heal her daughter who was back at home lying on a bed. Jairus came and he asked that the Lord would say a word and heal his daughter. There was no necessity for the hand of the Lord to be laid on this young man. But that's what the people asked for. It was not necessary. But did they know that it wasn't necessary? No, they didn't know that it wasn't necessary. That's why they asked for the hand of the Lord to be laid on him. They thought that it was necessary. I don't know why. Perhaps they had seen the Lord lay his hand on someone else. Perhaps the Lord had laid his hand on them when they were healed. Maybe that was the connection that these people had. But for some reason, they thought that it was imperative that the Lord laid his hand upon this man. Therefore, they brought him to him and they beseeched the Lord, lay your hand upon him. Now, you see the point that is being made here. They went with an incomplete understanding of what it was that the Lord was able to do. They went with a limited knowledge. They went, indeed, with little faith. But they succeeded. They succeeded nevertheless. See, it's not about us. It's not about how comprehensive is our knowledge, how great is our faith. It's about going upon the ground that the Lord has revealed and coming in a childlike way and saying, Lord, help. Lord, help. Do what is needed. We've got to leave this to you. But what a beautiful position to be in, to be taking someone to the Lord, to be bringing someone under the sound of the gospel, to be bringing someone to the throne of grace in prayer. Even although our knowledge of the circumstances is incomplete and the knowledge of the way in which the Lord might deal with them is incomplete, it is still sufficient that we bring them to the Lord. And here's the second point that I want to draw to your attention. Look at the Lord's response in this case. We read about that in verse 33 and 34. Let me just read them to you again. And he took him aside from the multitude. Interesting. And put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephaphra. That is, be open. Now, I don't think anything that the Lord did here was without significance and without meaning. He touched the ears of this man and he touched his tongue. Why did he do that? Well, sufficient that the friends had asked him to. That was a good enough reason. But I'm sure that the purpose was to convey the spiritual necessity of opening what was closed. He drew attention to the ears of this young man and attention to the lips of this young man because they were the things that were closed. How often does the Lord in his ministry and his doctrine speak about ears to hear? He who has ears to hear to hear. 
Where did those ears to hear come from? But from God himself. It is grace that opens the ears of men and women and boys and girls to hear the truth of the gospel. Grace flows from the will of God. Now, I could, I, we could give many references here. I, I, I just want to draw your attention to a couple from, from the, the prophecy of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah is talking to the, to, to the people of his age, to the people of his day, and he says this, Your God will come and save you. Your God will come and save you. He's anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And when he does, here's what he says, Isaiah 35 verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the tongue of the dumb sing. And then he enlarges on that in Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord God, he says, hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. And I'm sure that Isaiah was speaking both about physical manifestations, but more importantly about the spiritual work of the Messiah in bringing a hearing ear, spiritually attuned understanding to the hearts and lives, the souls and the spirits of men and women, the salvation of their souls. And I, I won't insist upon it, that it's speculation on my part, but I wonder if the prophecy of Isaiah there was not being fulfilled in this young man. I wonder if this young man went on to be a preacher. I wonder if he went on to witness knowing how to speak a word in season to the weary. Why? Because he had heard that word in his own ears. The very first thing that that young man heard was the voice of Jesus Christ be opened. Do you often feel that you don't know what to say? That you're in a situation and you just, you just think, if, if only I could find the words, if only I knew what to say. And we become tongue-tied, like this, like this young man was. Well, is that not a prayer that we could pray? Be open, that the Lord would give us that word in season, a word to the weary. But there's more in what the Lord did. He looked up. The Lord looked up. Now, Again, he doesn't do that every time he, 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 he performs a miracle, but he did it here. And I'm sure that he was reminding his disciples and reminding the people that were there and reminding us, his church, that such gifts as this spiritual healing is all grace. All the good gifts of God come from above. They come down from the Father of lights. And here's another thing that the Lord did. He sighed. He sighed. He's, he said, there was a groan on the part of the Lord as he, as he touched this, this man's ears. He was, he was sharing the heart of sin 
in his own senses in his union with his people. You know, what happens if, if, if a youngster comes in and maybe they've had a tumble or they've, they've grazed their knee or they've, they've cut their hand or their arm and they, they come in and, and they want to show you the graze. They want to show you the bruise. And, and, and as they, 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 they roll up their the trouser leg or they, they show you their, their arm, your reaction is to groan. You, you ah, because you, you empathise with the heart of that little one and the Lord sighed when 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 this one that the effects of sin on, on on his dear people the effects that sin has had on his 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 dearly beloved his bride and the Lord felt it in his own soul he felt it in his own heart he shared the heart of sin in the lives of his people such as his union with us in our body and in our flesh Not only did the Lord touch this man's ears, not only did he look up to heaven, not only did he sigh, but he commanded Ephratha, open, be open, be free. And he commanded that the natural functions of the ear and the tongue be made effective. And thereby he demonstrated his power in spiritual matters too. Because it is that same power that opened the physical hearing of that man that also does the greater work of bringing spiritual hearing and spiritual understanding. The granting of spiritual wisdom to lay hold upon the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. And the immediacy of that work points to the sovereign omnipotence of the Lord Jesus Christ and these are, these are the lessons that Christ was teaching us by his actions in this miracle. The immediacy, that immediately the man heard. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, not us, that holds the power to heal and the power to save, the power to give eternal life. We go to Christ for these things. These blessings, these eternal blessings flow from him. And it's his sovereign omnipotence his sovereign power he openeth and no man shutteth he shutteth and no man openeth what Christ opens no one can close and what Christ closes no one can open the apostle John tells us that in Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 and might you and I today not say to the Lord, might we not send up a prayer even now? Lord, open our ears, our mouths, our hearts. Lord, open spiritual ears today. Open the, the, the mouths, open the hearts of those that we love, that they might worship thee, that they might praise thy name, that they might experience what we have experienced of thy mercy and thy goodness. So we've thought about the people that came to the Lord Jesus Christ and brought their friend. We've thought about the the mannerisms of the Lord as he uh, healed this man. Uh, His touching of the man's ears, his looking up, his sighing. 
and of the immediacy of the effect upon his command, all speaking about his sovereignty in, uh, and his power in these matters. But then the Lord says, don't tell anyone. <laughs> don't tell anyone about this. What a strange thing to say. Tell no man. And I just wanted briefly to touch upon this because somebody might wonder, why, why did the Lord say that? Why, why was the Lord saying? I mean, why did he draw him aside from the multitude to perform this miracle? Was it because the Lord was concerned about his enemies that these scribes and Pharisees might take occasion from this to do him harm? Maybe, maybe. Was it because he felt that there might be those within the crowd who would manipulate the crowd to fulfill their own political desires? Possibly. There were those who, uh, when the Lord had fed the 5,000, wanted to make him king, which was surely a political and a revolutionary activity. And I'm sure that there would be those still willing to do that. And yet, and yet the Lord was able to defend and protect his own person and, and those around about him. So maybe there's more to it than that. Certainly the Lord did not need the applause and the adoration of the, the, the people. And indeed we often find that he withdrew himself from the people and he seemed to downplay the wonderful miracles that he performed. And I think that that's the point of the Lord saying, tell no man here. This is a lesson for the disciples. It's a lesson for the church. It's a lesson for you and me. It's a lesson that we might have some peace and some confidence, both in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also in his timing, that we might have patience. Our God is doing his will. Our God is accomplishing his purpose. He is bringing all things to pass according to his good plan and at its proper time. The schedule as well as the content is all in the Lord's hands. Now, what that doesn't do is justify any laziness or passivity on our part. We have a responsibility as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to worship him, to praise him, to, to uh, declare him, to preach him, to witness for him. And these things fall to us. We have these responsibilities. But we are reminded in this phrase, tell no man. That there is no need for us to be wild enthusiasts about this gospel that we preach. There's no necessity for us to be loud fanatics. There is a propriety, there is a decency, there is a modesty about our gospel work. That's not to say we are to hide our light under a bushel, but neither have we to burn the house down. We take the work of the Lord and we preach it 
as opportunity is provided. We speak that word in season as the Lord gives us opportunity. And we don't have to be running ahead of ourselves trying to do the Lord's work for him. Now I've moved kind of quickly through uh, these points because really I want to dwell uh, finally on, on, on the, the, the little phrase at the end of the passage here which I think is, is most important and, and to emphasise and to leave this as a final point in your mind today as we come to the end of our, our time together. Mark tells us that there was general astonishment regarding the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and there was this consensus amongst the people with respect to the miracles that he had performed. He tells us that he finds the people declaring that the Lord Jesus Christ hath done all things well. And that's a lovely little phrase for us to end upon today. The Lord Jesus Christ has done all things well. And that was certainly true in the experience of this young man, this poor man, whose life was now completely changed for the better as a result of this meeting with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the phrase, he hath done all things well, is a tribute to the Saviour, also in a much broader sense, not only for this this deaf mute but in all things he hath done all things well and it matters not when we begin our list of achievements our lord has done all things well our lord did all things well when he stood forth in the covenant of peace and he became surety for his people, promising to fulfil all righteousness and do well for us who could do no good for ourselves. Our Lord Jesus did all things well when he came into this world, when he took our flesh, when he brought himself into union with our nature. He did all things well as he came as an infant child to represent us into this world. He took our flesh that he might be a substitute for us. And in so doing, he did all things well. He lived a perfect life. He honoured God in all he said, in all he did, in all he thought. He fulfilled every command of God. He did all the will of God, doing good for men and women and boys and girls, healing and teaching and comforting and blessing. And he did all things well. Through the malice of his enemies, they tried to slay him. Why? Because he did all things well. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. There was no recrimination on the part of the Lord. He had done no violence. Neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Isaiah knew that hundreds of years before he hath done all things well. In his death, 
He drank the cup of God's wrath. He endured the weight of our sin. He bore our guilt in his own body on the tree. He took it all away and he did all things well. In the resurrection, he drew the sting of death and he disarmed the strong man and he removed the fear of the grave and he did all things well. He's seated now in honour in heaven and he rules his kingdom in power and he does it well. He gathers his church, he protects his people, he preserves us, he cares for our souls, he safeguards our futures and providentially, even now, even today, in the circumstances of your life, whatever they may be, he is doing all things well. And soon he'll come again and he will take us to the heavenly mansions that he has been preparing for all that love him. And I'm pretty sure that they are going to be special because he does everything well. Then, then, we shall join in that song of the redeemed and we shall declare, surely, surely my Jesus has done all things well. Friends, you and I, we haven't done all things well. We have made many mistakes and we have many regrets, more than a few. With sorrow we confess the sins that we commit and the mistakes that we make. We lament the weakness of our flesh that binds us to this world and to the, 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 the lusts of this world. And we confess with the Apostle Paul that we find a law. We find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And yet, paradoxically, we declare, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What has begun in us? A good work. Our salvation is that good work of the Lord Jesus Christ that he hath done well. The will and the good pleasure of our God is the salvation of his people by the Lord Jesus Christ. That salvation illuminates the heart. It subdues the will. It implants the divine nature. It forms Christ in our souls. Salvation is Christ's good work and he has done it well. It makes us heirs of good things to come. It turns sinners from darkness to light. It produces peace in our heart. It purges our conscience. Our salvation brings us to glory and glory to God. This is our Lord and Saviour. He has done all things well. 
and having begun a good work in us, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us.